Church in Action. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We've been talking about that for a couple of Sundays, this series called Church in Action, because we believe that God wants his church to be active in every generation. That's certainly true for us in our current generation that we live in, with the culture that we live in. And so you'll remember the very first week when, when we talked about this idea of church in action, I said, well, when Jesus first describes the church, he gave us three reasons or three principles uh, that help us to know that we can take action. And one is that the church's foundation is solid. It's built on Jesus Christ himself. So it's not unstable. It's completely solid. We know that that's true. The second thing is that our future is secure. Jesus said in that passage that uh, the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So we know that our future is secure. We don't have to worry about our enemy ultimately having victory over us. We're able to act and move forward, really not in fear or insecurity because of what Jesus promised about our enemy. And then the third thing is that our function is significant, that we've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We have authority. God gives us significant responsibility as the church at this time. And so because of that, I shared last week that the most important action the church can take to start with is the action of submitting to the Holy Spirit. When we submit to the Holy Spirit in our life, that's the only way that we'll know God's will, that we'll have the power to do God's will, and that we can stay in God's will. We can actually live in the middle of God's will. So this morning, when thinking about those things, those principles, what is it then that we see the Holy Spirit leading the church to do in the book of action, the book of Acts? What is it that we see them doing commonly? Well, this morning, the title of the message is The Church Shares. The Holy Spirit, when we submit our lives to him, consistently leads the church to share. Well, what are we talking about when we talk about sharing? Well, take your Bible this morning and turn to Galatians chapter 6, the last chapter of the book of Galatians. And uh, we're going to look at 10 verses there, the verses 1 through 10. So if you would, stand with me out of reverence for God and for his word. I'll read aloud as you follow along silently on the screen or in your copy of God's word there. This is what Paul says to the Galatians. He says, brothers and sisters... If someone's overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load." Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at a time, at the proper time, if we don't give up. Therefore... As we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. We think about the church sharing. Uh, I said last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit that I feel like as Baptists, we've sort of of listened to other denominations and other churches, and they've influenced our view of the work and the person of the Holy Spirit to the point that we sometimes deem the Holy Spirit as largely unnecessary, and that's a mistake. We can't, we can't live the Christian life God intends for us to live. We can't take action as the church without the Holy Spirit's leadership in our life. Well, so here you see a beautiful thing. You see the Holy Spirit leading the church to share. Now listen, is there anything scary about sharing? Is there anything weird about sharing? Is there anything mysterious or ooey-gooey, which is what we tend to associate with the Holy Spirit sometimes? No. 
Sharing is generous and kind and reflects the heart and character of God, which is what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals to us what God is like. It's part of his responsibility. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Christ. His church, individually and collectively, we get to represent God in the community, in the place that we live, here in Longview, Texas, and around the world. We get to represent him. That's a great responsibility, a significant responsibility like we talked about before. And so the action of the church communicates to people outside of the church and demonstrates to them a little bit of the character of God. You agree with that this morning? So as the church takes action, our actions demonstrate to the world something about God's character and what God's like. So this morning we think about the church sharing. What then do we see the Holy Spirit in the New Testament leading the church to actually share? Well, there's four things I want to share with you out of this passage this morning. And the first is this, that we see the Holy Spirit leading the church to share burdens, which demonstrates God's value of every person. You know what a burden is. A burden is something that is significant to you. You might not have the same burden as the person sitting next to you, the person sitting in front of you this morning, but a burden is a significant concern or uh, worry perhaps in your life, something that just weighs on you. It's the idea in the original language, honestly, of, of being oppressive. You know how that is when you have a burden, it sort of sits on your shoulders all the time. You can't get rid of it. You can't eliminate it. It's heavy. It's something that oppresses and pushes down on you. Well, that's what a burden is. It could be a burden for somebody who's lost. It could be a burden for somebody you don't have a good relationship with anymore. It could be a burden for somebody who's living a reckless life in some way, and, and you can see that the end of that is destruction for them. But it's a heavy, heavy thing, and it's something you really care about. You might even today at lunch go around the table with your family and just say, hey, uh, why don't we all just share whatever it is that we're burdened about and then pray for one another? Do you even know what your kids are burdened about? Parents, do your, your kids know what you're burdened about as parents? Sometimes we don't even know the people that we're close to. We don't even know what their burdens are. How can we share them if we don't know what they are? So a, a burden is something heavy. It's significant. It's sometimes because we don't tell. Isolation actually intensifies the oppression. We feel like we have to carry it all by ourselves. And, and the word here for carry just literally means to take part of it onto yourself. So you probably had that experience in your life at some point where you had a burden and someone came to you, a friend, a brother, sister in Christ, a family member perhaps, your spouse, and they said, hey, tell me what's going on. You seem like you're really down. Seems like things aren't right in your life. And they tell you, tell them what your burden is, and they say, hey, I want to help you with that. I want to pray for you. I'm going to check on you. I want to bear that with you. I want to share that with you. I want to carry that with you. And when we do that, we're acting like the Holy Spirit. We're taking action that resembles the Holy Spirit, that resembles the heart of God, which is generous and kind, which matches up with the fruit that he bears in our lives. And so one of the most obvious ways that we can see God's concern for us is when we see somebody come alongside of us and bear our burden, share our burden with us. Have you had that experience? I am an expert at having my burden shared. <laughs> Two weeks from now, September 1st, marks a very, very dark day in my life. Two years ago, on September 1st, my wife was diagnosed with stage 4 bony metastatic breast cancer. It was all over her body. Took her to the hospital, actually, by ambulance. Labor Day weekend, Labor Day, you know, weekend. It was, she's like, I, let me just wait and go one more day. Let's wait one more. I said, no, honey, we, we got to go. There's something wrong here. I don't know what it is. They do an MRI. They come back and say, 
you, you got multiple lesions all over your body. Your back is just eaten up with cancer. That's why your back hurts. I just busted out and crying. I was like, right there in the emergency room, I was like, she's just sitting there looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, this is the worst news I think I could ever get. A burden, heavy, oppressive, right? You guys, some of you experienced that. I'm not alone in this, but I have to tell you that it's been almost two years and there has not been a Sunday because <laughs> I wasn't here the first few Sundays, but then when I came back, there, there hasn't been a Sunday since then that one of you haven't come up to me and said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your wife still. Now, I got to tell you guys, two years in, she's still cancer-free. Praise the Lord. Your prayers matter. God's good. <laughs> and I haven't given an update in a long time, so I wanted to tell you that. But the burden's still there. And you guys remind me all the time that you share it with me, that you share it with her. And that's what the Holy Spirit leads the church to do, is share burdens. Because burdens are real. They matter in our lives. They, they carry significant weight. Paul said this. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. The truth is, when somebody rejoices with us, when somebody weeps with us, it reminds us that God cares about us because he led that person to share our burden. When God leads you to share somebody's burden, what he's doing is communicating to that person that he cares about them very much, that they have great value in his life and to him. So Brandon mentioned a second ago connect groups in the video, and connect groups are huge because they're a place where you can share your burden. You guys know we don't, we don't come in this room every Sunday and say, hey, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and share your burden this morning? Most of you be like, mm -mm, no, I don't even know the person sitting next to me. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that, right? Where then do you get your burden shared at church? It's in a smaller group of people, a group of people you trust, a connect group. I remember several years ago I visited the hospital and there was a man's name on the list. It was my day to go to the hospital. And uh, I, I remember looking at his name and going, I have no idea who this guy is. And so I went in his room and I opened the door and he's laying in the hospital bed there, a good shepherd. And there's nothing in his room. It's just empty, just him. And I didn't know him. I didn't even recognize him. And I said, hey, uh, he knew who I was. I said, I'm Paul from Marbury. And I said, I just wanted to come by and check on you. I said, what's going on? He goes, well, I had surgery three weeks ago and I'm, I'm having a hard time recovering from it. And uh, Anyway, I've been here for three weeks, and he said, you're the first person from the church that's come by to see me. I'm so glad you're here today. And I was like, how have you been here three weeks, and nobody has been by to see you? And I asked him, I said, well, I'm sorry nobody came by. I said, how, how come that is? He goes, well, we, my wife just called yesterday. I said, oh, no one knew about your burden. And I look over in the windowsill, and there's no flowers. There's no little trinkets with balloons that you buy at the gift shop. There's no... There's no little yellow prayer grams that say somebody from Marley Baptist Church has been praying for you and sharing your burden with us. None of that. And so I asked him, I said, hey, i got to ask you, whose connect group are you in? Oh, we don't go to a connect group. He goes, we just go to worship and go home. And I thought, no one knows you then. He goes, we've never filled out a card or anything. Well, no one knows you for sure then. Because I look around the room and I see faces I don't know this morning. You can come in here and leave and nobody ever know who you are. And some of you like it that way. That's okay for a while. But what happens when you have a burden? Who shares your burden if they don't even know who you are, if they don't know who you're, what burden you're struggling with? So a connect group is a great thing because life brings burdens to all of us. And when that happens, who shares our burdens with us? Listen to what Paul said about his burden in 2 Corinthians. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. Sounds like a burden. So that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. 
And he's delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will, he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us, join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. We share the burden of other people by praying for them. And it's not one of those things, well, hey, I'll pray for you, and then you never think about praying for them. It's actually when you pray for someone and you text them or you call them and you say, hey, I was praying for you this, today, this morning, whatever. How can I pray for you specifically? That reminds people that they're not in it alone. That in the body of Christ, they're not having to share their burden alone because the Holy Spirit leads the church to share the burdens of others. That's one of the very first things that we see. The second thing that he leads us to share is our resources, which demonstrates God's faithfulness to the church. He says this in Galatians 6, 6. We just read it. Let the one who's taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. The word for share there literally means to participate in, to be a shareholder. He's saying, look, when you share with someone financial resources, you're participating with them. You're being a shareholder in their life. And we know that was common in the book of Acts. In fact, Acts 2 says this was their common practice. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. God gives you a certain amount of control over the resources you have. They're to be used for your needs and shared for his purposes. And we see that in the book of Acts, that people sold stuff that mattered to them. They sold their property. They sold their possessions. Maybe they sold their collections, their memorabilia. I don't know what they would have collected back then. I have no idea. But they sold that stuff, and they said people's needs are more important. And they brought that stuff to the church, and they distributed it to people, whoever, whoever had a need. And that's not an anomaly, because in Acts 4, it says, For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. You cannot outgive God. You all know that. And it's God's faithfulness that's reflected by our sharing of our resources. You know, a person that's unwilling to share is a person who says, well, this is all I got. This is all I'm ever going to get. So I got to hang on to some of this. On the other hand, a person who trusts God and says, you know what? God's the supplier. I'm not the supplier. He will supply all your needs according to his riches. And right? He is the one who supplies, and he has no need, no limit, no end to his supply. So I can give generously. I can share my resources with people in the body of Christ generously because he's faithful. And when I give generously, it reflects not me. It reflects his faithfulness. People may wonder why you give. They, your friends may think, why in the world would you give all that money to the church when you could totally do something fun with that money? Uh, because I'm trying to be obedient because the Holy Spirit's led me to share my resources to demonstrate his faithfulness. Last Sunday night, our church shared with our community the thing called hamburgers and haircuts. Now, a bunch of y'all took those backpacks that were back there at the information center a few weeks ago, and you filled them up with school supplies. You took your own money, and you went to the store, and you took that list, and you filled that backpack up with school supplies. You shared some of your resources that are going to go to help needy kids in our community. 400 backpacks we built. You guys did that. You shared your resources to do that. So last Sunday night, I think I said there were 200 families in the first service. There were 200 people here. It wasn't 200 families. I want to correct that. But last Sunday night, 200 people were here from our community, and they got a chance to get a hamburger, and they got a chance to sit down across the table with one of our church members who knows Jesus and loves Jesus and got to talk to them about Jesus, got to give them a backpack for their kids or multiple kids, however many they had, to be able to be ready for school to start. And then they got to go out and play on a cool water slide after that was over. Just a great night for our church to do this very thing, share resources with people 
to demonstrate God's faithfulness. And, and it's a beautiful thing. We all think that's great. We all cheer for things like that because they're wins. We see that God works in the midst of those. Paul said this in Romans, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. When you share your resources through the church, you see a lot of good come from that. Now, you guys know we have what we call a map, which is a ministry, I love the middle word, action plan. It's a plan of action. Some people call it a budget, but if you say budget, people go to sleep on you, right? So it's a ministry action plan. It tells us what the plan is for how we're going to spend the church's resources over the next year. And uh, we're actually tonight going to be able to come together as a church and vote on a brand new ministry action plan for 2021 2022. Starts September 1st, will end next August 31st. So it's a chance for the church to actually come and see what the plan is and then contribute to it so that when we give these resources out, they go to meet important needs. Now, I know that some of you are the kind of people that if you see a hungry person on the side of the road with a cardboard sign, you're going to stop and give them something. And, and I get that. But I always wonder when I'm in that situation, am I helping this person continue to live a lifestyle that's harmful to themselves and others? Am I enabling them in their irresponsibility in some way? Do they have a genuine need? Would it be better off giving them food than money? And here's the thing I know. When I give my money to the church, when I give my resources to God's family to be able to be distributed, as was practiced in the book of Acts, I know that those people are going to be vetted properly. Every Tuesday morning, we have a benevolence ministry right here on our campus. And people can come, and they can have their physical needs met. They hear the gospel preached to them, shared with them. It's a great opportunity. And I would rather give my money where I know the person that's getting the money really needs the money instead of just throwing money at something to make my conscience feel better. So I would encourage you. You can keep doing that if you want to, but the truth is when we give our resources through the church, through the ministry action plan, God uses it to touch a lot of other people's lives for eternity, and I want to be a part of that. So, so the Holy Spirit leads the church to share burdens. The Holy Spirit leads the church to share um, resources with each other and with the community that we live in. The third thing this morning is this, that the Holy Spirit leads us to share in governing, which demonstrates God's design for the church. Now, when I teach Discover Membership, and I'm going to do that this coming Wednesday night, right out through those doors in the South Foyer at 6 o'clock. So if you're not a member yet and you're interested in becoming a member, just coming to the class doesn't mean you're going to become a member. It's just an information thing for you. It is a requirement for membership. But I love to talk about church polity, and everybody kind of goes, what? That's when they yawn and go, it's been a long day. You know, polity? What are you talking about? The way the church is governed. It's important. Nobody cares about the church's polity until there's a major decision that has to be made, and then everybody goes, now how do we do that? How do we make decisions as a church? There's, there's several models, and the reality is, um, if, you, if you hear the names of these models, you may think I'm talking about a specific denomination, but the first model that, and there's variations of all these, so this is the 30,000-foot flyover, but the first model is called the Episcopal model, and it's not based on the Episcopalian church. It's based on the Greek word episkopos, which means overseer. Uh, the Catholic church translates that word bishop or pope. The guy at the very top, in that system of church governing, governing, there's one guy at the very top that makes most of the decisions. And everything filters down from that one person. They get it from God. God tells that one person. That one person tells the church what they're supposed to do. You know as Baptists, we don't practice that, right? Some churches do. Or they practice some hierarchy where there's levels of leaders and somebody gets the decision, somebody else gets the decision, and ultimately it makes its way down to the local church. We don't practice that. But that's where it comes from. It comes from the Greek word, Episcopos, which means an overseer. The other model that we see is the Presbyterian model. Again, not based on the Presbyterian church, 
but based on the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. Now, some of you have been part of churches that had an elder board or a group of elders. And elders also means overseer. So those two words are kind of used interchangeably. The idea of an elder is a pastor. An elder is an overseer. So at our church, on our church staff, we have seven or eight pastors. I can't keep up. But each of us are responsible to oversee various ministries in our church. And every ministry in our church falls under the leadership and the oversight of one of our pastors. So people say, well, the Baptist church doesn't have elders. We actually do. We just don't call them elders every time. Some Baptist churches actually have pastors and elders. They have lay elders and paid staff they call pastors. The reality is there's a lot of variations of all this. But what I like is is the third model, which we are as a Baptist church, is congregational. And that means that you, those of you who are members of our church, you participate in governing the church. You actually have a say. You make decisions. Now, do you come together and decide every little thing, like whether or not we should have black carpet or blue carpet or whether it should be, you know, theater seats or pews? No, we have committees, smaller groups of people that you as a church member get to speak into electing, which, by the way, we're going to do tonight as well. So I would encourage you to be here at 6 because you can actually practice helping us govern the church tonight if you're a church member. We're going to bring before you brand new committee members, this new church leadership council that's a part of our new bylaws. The at-large members are going to be voted on. And when you have a chance as a church to vote and voice your opinion under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you're helping to govern the church. And why do I say I think that's the most biblical model? Because there are several times in the New Testament when important decisions had to be made, the entire church was involved in it. It wasn't a small group of people that made the decision on behalf of the church. For example, Jesus said in Matthew 18, if someone's caught in a sin, you go to them privately first and try to restore them. If they won't listen to you, you go back with somebody else. If they still won't listen to you, it says, tell it to the church, which means the whole congregation. Involve the whole church. It's not just for a group of people to make that decision. Tell the whole church. When they selected deacons in Acts 6, in verse 2, it says that the 12 apostles summoned the whole company of disciples. That's the whole church. Bring them all together, and you guys select seven men to serve as deacons. That's how deacons were selected, the very first deacons. Bring it to the entire congregation. And I love it because Paul in this passage in Galatians talks about the household of faith, the congregation, the church. That's who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And then in Acts 15, very, very important decision, major decision, because you'll remember the apostle Paul had been up at the church at Antioch, north, way north of Jerusalem, and these guys came saying... um, You guys are preaching Jesus alone for salvation as the gospel, and that's not really true. Actually, you have to become Jewish first, go through all the rites and passes and all that thing with the Judaism, you know, keep the law, be circumcised, all that stuff, and then trust Jesus as your Savior, and then you can be saved. And Paul's like, sorry, time out. What'd you say? No. No, 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 no. We're free from the law. So they get into this debate, and the leaders at Antioch say, you guys go down to Jerusalem and talk to Peter and James and the other leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and you guys figure this out. What is the gospel? And so in Acts 15, it says, then the apostles and the elders called out both here, and the whole church decide what the gospel is, and they wrote a letter and sent it back to the churches. The whole church was involved in the process. That's congregational. That's who we are. That's what most Southern Baptist churches are, and that's who we are. So... Don't go to sleep when people talk about governing in the church. It's your responsibility. It's your opportunity as the church to be involved in helping decide what we do as a church. And tonight at 6 o'clock, for just a few minutes, you're actually going to have the opportunity to decide some things that are going to be very consequential for our church moving forward. 
So I would encourage you to be here. Now, how do we know who's a member? Well, that's, that's an interesting process. So tonight we're going to do something we haven't really done before. We're actually going to verify membership when you come in the door. What? You're going to what? I've been going to this church 45 years. Okay, are you a member of this church? Just because you sit in a seat doesn't automatically make you a member. So members will vote tonight. So we need to verify who the members are so that we know that we're following our bylaws correctly. It's important to do that. So when you come in, it's going to take two seconds. Somebody's going to look your name up and go, oh, yeah, you're a member. No, you haven't completed membership. And that's when you're going to go, but I've been coming to church here for 45. Well, great. Then come this Wednesday and finish the process, okay? Some of you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, but you've never been baptized biblically. You can't be a member of the church until you're baptized biblically. Get baptized. Become a full governing member of this church. Help us. Share the responsibility of helping lead this church. That's what the New Testament talks about. And so when we see elders and apostles, we don't see them operating to the exclusion of the congregation. The congregation's involved as well. So tonight you get a chance to do that at 6 o'clock. I hope you'll be here. I hope you won't. It's going to be pouring down rain probably. That's okay. You guys look good when you're wet. So just, just come. It'll be fine. But remember, there are churches in our day and age who have chosen to be non-biblical. There are churches in our day and age who've chosen to be more culturally relevant than biblically accurate. And they voted at some point to do that. They moved away from what the Lord intended for them because they decided they didn't want to be that way. They, didn't want that, they wanted to be more cool and culturally relevant instead of actually operating by biblical imperatives. And that happened through a church vote at some point or through an elder vote or through some other board or whatever outside the church decided that for them since they were part of their denomination. We don't operate like that. My assurance that we're going to continue to be a biblical church is because of you. You're going to demand that. I hope. It's not just my responsibility, the other pastor's responsibility. It's all of our responsibility as believers. So we do share in the governing of the church. And the last thing that we share in this morning is we share the gospel, which demonstrates God's will for everyone. Paul says something really interesting here. He says, uh, don't get tired of doing good, for we'll, pre weep, we'll reap at the proper time if we don't give up. And then he says, let us... Let us do good to all, especially those who are the household of faith, but to all people, let us do good. So let me ask you this question. What is the greatest good that any of us could ever do? If I could give you winning lottery numbers today that you could go out and win the lottery and win however many bazillion dollars, is that the greatest good I could do for you? If I could tell you who's going to win the World Series or the Super Bowl and you could take all your money, everything you have, and bet on that and double or triple or quadzillion your money, whatever it might be, is that the greatest good I could do for you? No, I have something better than any of that. You do too. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what I can share with you won't just change your now. It'll change your forever. It has that kind of power. We've talked about this before, and someday each of us, if Jesus doesn't come back and rapture the church before this, someday each of us have a funeral or a memorial service in our future. I don't want to bring you down this morning, but the reality is life is short, and some pastor is going to be charged with the responsibility of getting up and saying something about your life that's good. Been to a memorial service lately? Here's what I loved about this person. Here's what's wonderful about this person. The greatest thing anybody could ever say about any of us, argue with me if you want to here, but I, I think the greatest thing anybody could ever say about any of us is that we cared so much about people that we told them the gospel. We shared the gospel because it has the power to do the greatest good in their life. I hope that's what they'll say about me. 
doesn't really matter. I'll be in heaven. <laughs> but the reality is the greatest good we can do is share the gospel. Argue with me if that's not true. That's the greatest good you could ever do. And he says, do good to everyone. Well, I can't do anything better than that. That's what the church is called to do is share the gospel. And you say, well, yeah, the church, the organization will do that. We do. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> but that's not a substitute for every one of us individually in our lives sharing the gospel with people that God allows us to have in our lives. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that if tomorrow morning at your work, every Christian who is in your workplace that works at your workplace or at the school or where you go work out or where you go to the restaurant to eat, whatever, I believe if all the Christians, not just from our church, but all over East Texas, all the great churches we have in our community, if people would just begin to share the gospel with people, talk about Jesus, the need for Jesus, I think we would see something amazing happen. Because I think people would go, wait, I heard about Jesus three times today at school, at work, twice in the barbershop. What is the deal with Jesus? Right now, they're not hearing that, are they? If they don't come in a room like this or they have to turn a podcast on or a web, you know, some other web-based program or whatever, they probably never hear it. And yet, that's what we're called to share. We're called to share the greatest news that's ever been shared with any of us. And some of us get it because we've received Jesus as our Savior. And we go, yeah, there's no better news. There's no greater good that I could do. So this morning, I want to ask you to do something because I've got six whole minutes here, okay? So I want to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads today, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what I just shared, and I'm going to give people a chance to also respond to the gospel this morning. I'm going to ask nobody to leave during this time. We've got a few minutes here, so this is really important. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of the church, I want to invite you to do something this morning. I want to invite you to respond to the Lord personally this morning and say, I want to be part of the church that takes actions. I want, takes action. I want to share. I want to share, help share people's burdens. I want to help share the resources that you've given me, God. I want to help share in the governing of the church. I want to be a participant in that, not just a spectator. And I want to share the gospel more with people. I want to learn to do that. I want to have the strength and courage to do that. If that's you, would you just tell the Lord this morning where you are? This is personal for you to respond to him. Just take a minute and do that. Some of you have never asked Christ to come into your life. Someday you're going to have a funeral and your life's going to end on this earth. Where are you going to be? The Bible says you're going to be in heaven or you're going to be in hell. Hell's the worst conceivable place that you could ever spend eternity and Jesus didn't want you to go there so he came and gave the most precious thing he had his life for you to pay the penalty for your sin so that you could have eternal life you could have a relationship with him and God that lasts forever you could know his will you could walk in his will you could have abundant life eternal life and this morning if that's you and you've never asked Christ to come into your life. You believe that he's the savior of the world. You believe that he died, that he rose again three days later, but you've never made this next, never taken the next step, made the decision to actually put your trust in him. If you'd like to do that this morning, I'm gonna ask you just to raise your hand. I'm the only one that's looking around this morning. So if that's you, just raise your hand. Be bold about it because you're in a room full of believers. Thank you. And we wanna pray and encourage you. And those of you who are watching online, you can do this as well. And the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So this morning, I'd like to lead you through a time of calling on the name of the Lord, right where you are. 
So you could say these words to him, but you have to mean them from your heart. You don't have to use my words. You can use your own words. He knows your heart. He knows the intentions of your heart. So just say something like this. Dear God in heaven, I'm sorry for my sin. I don't want to sin against you anymore. I don't want any sin more than you. I want to be saved this morning. I trust in Jesus. I want to follow you. Help me live in a way that honors you. Thank you for dying for me. I believe in you. I trust you. In Jesus' name.